Today, on a round of Gwent Wit, my guest recently gained a promotion to upper management for Team Eratusa, has long been known as the King of Skellige, where he has somewhere north of 7,000 wins, maybe 8,000 by now. You can find him on Twitter and Twitch, just don't call him Gulaks. All right, we are here today with Gulo. How's it going? I'm all right. How about you? I have been better because about an hour ago, uh-huh. I made these sandbags because I didn't want to buy them to work out. Okay. And in the course of that and working out, I tweaked my back. So, Ouch. yeah, so I might just kind of move around. I'm not trying not to stand up, but I'm going to keep the weird noises to a minimum. But if I kind of fidget, it's because the ibuprofen hasn't quite kicked in yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. I right, had so, medical stuff today too, but I'm oh, better. So I'm good. Mine was okay. good. So you I'm were, happy about that. What no, was it? If you don't mind. Uh, I've just, uh, I'm an old man. So, uh, these things are important to me. I lowered my cholesterol hundred points. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's all medicine, but Hey, it is what it is. Okay. First off, how old are you? I'm 41. Okay, you are older than me. I am. So old. there you go. So isn't that something though? Because I'm about to hit, and you can probably answer this better because you're a couple years ahead of me. Man, I've always been active. I've always been in sports and everything like that. And at about the age of 32, it hit me like a motherfucker. And so, yeah. and now it's just like I tweak my back, like doing something <laughs> I normally do, and it, this is almost like the norm. And I guess what I'm going to ask is, is there any way, is it just get worse? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the random aches and pains. Yeah. Uh, they, they multiply as the years goes on, years go on for sure. So you, you'll be sore from things that you never thought you'd be sore from, but, uh, it's all right. I mean, it's, it, it's part of the deal, I guess. So your, your machine's breaking down one way or the other, as well as you, uh, as well as you treat it, it's still breaking down. So, uh, it is what it is. I the guess. hangovers too are just absolutely brutal now. That's uh, I don't drink as much anymore, but I've noticed actually mine have gotten better. I don't know why. Really? Yeah. I used to, well, maybe it's because of how much I used to drink in comparison to how much I drink now. Okay. Like in college, like I drink way too much and then I'd wake up the next day and not want to move for like the entire day. Now it's like I'll go out and I'll, I'll have a few drinks once in a while, and I, well, and I normally remember to drink water before I go to bed and all of that now, where I used to not before, and so now I'm, it's generally not bad. Okay, you're know. actually you're right about that. Now that I think of it, there were those, there were some of those times. I'm a little better now with knowing when to stop and get cut off. I yeah. think that's I think that's the key. Yeah, but yeah, I guess that's, that's a future for everybody there. All right. So first thing I always <laughs> ask and get through is uh, take us through a generic normal day. And I know there's like, it's COVID life now, but in general, yeah. what is a normal day look like in your life? COVID life, normal day. Well, um, thankfully I have been blessed um, in respect to that. Uh, I've been working at home the entire time since we decided to, since the university I work at shut everything down pretty much in the middle of March been working consistently from home. So basically where I am now is basically where I am all day now instead of part of the day at this desk here in this old bedroom that I turned into an office. So um, with the desktop and just doing doing everything I would do for work here. So um, it's actually working out very well. So uh, 
Um, there's been no change in what I, I specifically do. Um, everything's working exactly the same at home as it would be as if I was in the office, except people can't come bug me at home like they would in my office. So uh, that's nice, at least for the most part. So I will say, I mean, I'm obviously not going as many places as I used to anymore. So uh, I'm staying in this apartment probably more than I should, but uh, that's part of the time. So, so yeah, it's a lot of sticking around the house, reading some books I've always wanted to, that have been piling up and getting to and uh, trying out games and other stuff, really. So, so that's kind of just how you stay sane is just the distraction. <laughs> yeah, I got. I, I mean, I have to. I have to do that one way or the other, or else I'm just sitting. I, I mean, I'm just sitting there doing nothing. So uh, um, I can only take so many walks around the neighborhood um, to to have a little moment of, of peace as well. So th th those only work so much. I can't go walking like five, five, six times a day, you know, so. All right, so, so I gotta find stuff to do around here. Okay, so one of those things you've been doing is a video game and it has been taking up a lot of your time, I believe. Which one was that? Uh, recently? Yeah. In uh, last week or so? Oh, you mean, are you talking about Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you might be. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so if I'm not mistaken, at this point, and we won't we won't do any spoilers, we won't talk about story or anything like that. Okay, but well, I know well, you warn me because I'll probably start talking about stuff. So if I go well, I mean, if, spoiler... if look, if if we do, we do, and you know, I don't, whatever, sure. we'll deal with that if it comes up. But I know you have. Did you 100 percent it or? Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. you completely 100 percent. Obviously, you've enjoyed the game, and yeah. I want to know in your uh, take on it because. I didn't think I was going to like the game as much as I did. And even now mm -hmm. I can't say that it was some, Oh my God, is this unbelievable experience. There was something to me that was just fun about it. And I can't, I still can't put my finger on it, except it was easy to relax and play to. Mm -hmm. It was compelling in the story. I think like any great game, maybe this is actually probably wrong, but the secondary characters were better than the primary character who I thought yeah. was actually like, he was he kind of, kind of generic, kind of yeah. boring. So what grabbed you and caused you to play it so much? Well, I mean, first off for me, I mean, that's the type of game I enjoy probably playing the most games that let me enjoy the mundane aspects of a game. I mean, just running around a big map and just looking for things it's fun at the start, right? Like you find your first whatever, or like in Ghost of Tsushima, you find your first fox and you're like, oh yeah, this is cool. Or you find your first hot springs and you laugh when you see what happens there, right? But for a lot of people going out and finding like the 10th one, the 15th one, the 20th one, right? It gets to just be, oh, I gotta go find these again and go chase this fox around for this thing and blah, 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 blah. For me, I, I love doing that. Like I did that in Witcher 3, which is another game that's, very similar into the the scope of how this game is set up right like yeah. with witcher 3 you'll hear a lot of people like you get to skellige and you see all those question marks in the in the water right and how many people you know they're like i didn't even touch them there were so many right? they're like i don't even touch them i don't even care every time i play that game do i not get all of the question marks in the water i explore all of the islands you have absolutely no reason to go to for the story or any part of the game just because it's fun to explore and just see what's there, right? And you know, 
game developers sort of do that with some things like there's islands in Skellige where there's some that no one ever goes to and there's treasure and there's weird stuff and what have you. But back to go to ghost, it doesn't do that as much as say like the Witcher or something like that. Um, the main characters are very similar in the fact that they're very blank slate-ish, right? Um, they're sort of there for you to, they're taking your spot in the story basically, right? So they've got to be very, not too much one way or the other. So everyone can sort of connect to the character in, in a certain way. Um, but what I really enjoyed about it was that um, while it didn't do anything, I'm going to say new at all in relation to games like that, it didn't make it, it, it didn't create some new sort of box, right? But it, it, it took the box that has always been used and made it really, really beautiful, um, easy to use, um, just they did everything really well. I mean, sort of like, if you're familiar, like sort of like God of War to me in a way as well, didn't do anything, the, the, the newest one, right? It didn't do anything revolutionary, re revolutionary or new or fantastic really, right? But it took everything from the genre it had and made it, it, it did it really, really well. And I thought I thought Ghost was the, was the same way, right? Uh, in some respects, it was like I saw things. And I'm like, man, I wish games like The Witcher Three and other and these other big, huge open world games were like, yeah, it does the same thing, but it does it. Ghost is doing it better, and maybe that's just um, maybe that's just the luxury of being the latest in the line, and you get to see everything that happened before, and you can tweak things one way or the other. So, I mean. I don't know if I thought the story was as good as say like Witcher 3 or maybe some other games like that, but for an open world game, it was probably, I think it was the most fun and best combat system I've ever engaged with. So. Yeah. See, that was something whenever I play games, I'm the opposite of seemingly everybody. I play games generally for the story or like you said, for the experience. And so mm -hmm. I always play on easy mode, never like the easiest of easiest. Like if there's sure. four, I'll take the second to lowest. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm not, you know, like Sekiro. I don't, if I pronounce that correctly, yeah. I'm not, or Dark Souls, any kind of Dark Souls game. Sure. I have no interest in that because I've just mm -hmm. watched people play it. And that looks like yeah. torture yeah. to play. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, games like that, like, I actually enjoy watching people play them. But like, yeah. I, I, I played Bloodborne. I played it a little bit. And I guess I understand, like, for people, it's like the, the learning and then the rush you get from finally making it up that mountain and over the mountain to the next step. And for me, that happened too. Like I got to the first like real major boss in Bloodborne and pr it probably took me like 50 times to defeat him. And on the 50th time, you can go to my Twitch page. It's the most watched clip I have. Like I went nuts, right? Like I was super loud and like I was excited, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I guess I sort of get this game. But then for me throughout the rest of the game, it was just diminishing the returns because it was sort of just like, oh, now I'm just doing the same thing again, but, but just with a different boss, right? Or a different enemy. And like, okay, I just did the same thing again. And I don't know, for, for me, I, I, I don't mind challenge, but challenge to the point of, I guess for me, just beating my head against the wall until I figure it out. Like, I, I don't mind if things are hard and things take me a couple of times to figure out, but if it's something where it's going to, 
Like if every boss in Bloodborne took me 50 times to, to beat, like for some people, they love it, right? Yeah. They're like, yeah, I, I, get, I get knocked down, I get knocked down, I finally got it, I'm up, I'm great, right? Sadist, they're called. For me, it's like the first time, oh yeah, and then from then on, it's like, oh, I got to do this guy 50 times now? Uh-huh, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I played Ghost on regular or normal for like the first part of it. And then I moved it up to hard just to see what it was like. And I guess I had learned enough to where it didn't seem that bad. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll play things on hard to try them out. But if it's ridiculous, if it's too much, if it's if it's stressing me out to play the game, then it's not worth it to me. Yeah, the biggest allure to me was the wind, using the wind for navigation. Oh, yeah. There was no HUD in the way. There was nothing in there that just kind of took, because like I said, the game is gorgeous. That's like undeniable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the wind was so easy and just what you've uh, scrolled up on, whatever that button is in the middle, I've noticed. Yeah. called. And then that takes you what is there. And then like you said, with the combat, yeah, there you go, that thing. <laughs> so yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, then yeah, you'll get to see it right in there. But with the combat, which is something I've never really cared about, mm-hmm. in here, you had to use switch to different stances for different types of opponents yeah and to me that was really cool and it kind of kept you in it and it made it it definitely had to be a lot more challenging at a higher difficulty level but even on the lowest difficulty you had to change it otherwise you're just you know hacking away at something that would take you anywhere yeah probably like 20 times i don't know you get bored you know eventually right you hit an opponent enough and you're like what is going on oh crap i'm not in the wind stance i'm in the water stance or something like that and have you played um have you played spider-man yeah okay i just got that because it was only like 20 bucks and i've been trying to play through that and it's just not working for me and i'm i'm partial to like the western field the medieval field give me a horse and let me just go and go from town to town and almost with spider-man as you're webbing through the city which is awesome yeah there's so many buttons and you have to press and you have to do all that and i'm like this is almost hectic otherwise i just keep falling and I think that I guess that's just the biggest thing you to me just, about. You, you can walk around the streets of Spider-Man. People love it. They do, but then some people are yelling at me. Well, not everyone likes Spider-Man. Yeah, that, that was funny, though, because some people are like, hey, let me get a selfie. And I swear one guy yeah. was like, one guy like talked shit to me. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, that's kind of funny because yeah. I would imagine, you know, as I wreck half the city in a mission, some people probably aren't going to like that. No. And if true, if you're having a problem with web slinging, the, the, the best way to get around the city is just jump on top of a moving car, and they'll take you where you gotta go. I did, I did do that. The guy, <laughs> yeah. got, the guy got really mad too, and I was yeah. like, I'm just gonna stand here and yeah. like just see what happens. Like, is he gonna get out? Yeah, yeah. I'm just but open I, fast travel points, but yeah. I mean, I, I I thought that game did things relatively well too for when it was made and and how it was set up. I mean, you, I, I definitely felt like I was a superhero playing that game like because you'll walk into a room with like 15 guys and you're not i mean after a while after you get used to things you're not phased by that you're like oh yeah i can take out 15 guys I'm like what huh <laughs> i shouldn't normally be thinking that way yeah yeah and it's so. i do think the biggest because i'm not i've i just actually saw the spider-man movies like a month mm-hmm. ago or something and like yeah. i'm not too big on like marvel or superhero mm-hmm. or anything in that sense But getting into another superhero thing, I know this is something I've just seen that I know you like, the show Watchmen. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, okay, I just went through that within the last month or something. 
And to me, have you read the graphic novel or yeah, seen the- Yeah, a, a long time ago. Okay, yeah. so you have, and you've seen yeah. the movie? Uh, yeah, I did, okay. when what it came you, out, I think. So. Yeah, and I've only seen the movie. I don't know about the graphic novel, but to me, what I loved about The Watchmen was the adaptation of it, that they're always gonna adapt it, what are they gonna do? They set it in the modern time, and they use the canon from everything. Like yeah. they, they even use the squid, which the movie didn't do. Mm-hmm. And what they did there to me was exactly how you can weave real world history, something that nobody really knew about, like the Black Wall Street aspect. Yeah. And then with your alternate history where you have Richard Nixon and then President uh, Robert Redford. <laughs> yeah, Robert Redford. Yeah. And so what, like, since you loved it as well, you know, what was the main reason there that it grabbed you? Uh, I mean, the series, well, I mean, I loved it just because initially, the, I mean, the, and by no means am I, am I some watchman lore master so i'll probably yeah. screw something up but um i mean just what i remember from reading the original was just the idea of you know i like this idea i got this idea when i read it that that superheroes are i mean this is gonna sound sort of corny but superheroes are people too right um and they're not always who we project on them to be i think in a certain respect um so taking that idea and then moving into the new series, um, I mean, they, they really expounded upon that in relation to that, you know, people that were considered heroes were not exactly heroes. And I mean, even when we get to the, the story of, of, of Hooded Justice, of, of how people can be, how, I guess in that universe, how someone could be driven to, be, to become a, a hero or a superhero and to think about that that was even necessary in the first place is pretty crazy to think about especially when we even think more about how I mean just what's going on in at least our uh, our, our society here in America now in relation to I mean racial justice and racial equality and things like that um, and also the effects of the, how the, what taking on that burden would do to someone, I think, was was very accurately portrayed as well. And I mean, just the, the horrors and traumas of, and I mean, we could even extend that out to, you know, how, what toll it takes on people to be, I guess, quote unquote heroes in our daily lives, right? I mean, we, I mean, we, we, we have an idea of, you know, if we go back to COVID, you know, what life is like for doctors and nurses and people like that, people that we call heroes now, right, today because of what's going on in our society. But I don't think we really accurately understand how much people like doctors and nurses are really going through right now. I mean, maybe it's better now than it was in, say, March or April. But I mean, I work at a university that's basically, and where I work, I'm basically connected to the medical school. And, you know, I've got, I know people that are actually physicians and nurses. And I mean, to just hear about what the the things they've had to go through over like the last almost six months now, you know, it takes a toll on you. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's great that I, I guess when everything started, we all sat around and cheered for them and, and things like that. But um, it takes a lot to, to, 
to have the strength to want to do that every day, I guess. And yeah, I, I don't. I, I think that I think that story in the show expounded upon that a little bit as well. It takes a big toll to, I guess, sacrifice for others for no tangible benefit. Yeah, and with taking like hooded justice in the show. I'm with you there. I want media to explore. And it's something I try to do in anything I create. Mm -hmm. You can't stay up all night or go out at night and kill people, even if they're bad, you know, like yeah. he goes to that factory and kills all the Klansmen, yeah. and the Cyclops is like, Oh yeah, good. He got them. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they're bad. And it's easy for us to be like, good. But if you spend all night killing people, you can't just go home, wake up in the morning. Oh, hey, son, how are you? Oh, yeah. loving wife. Everything Let me go have. to my other job where he's a cop yeah. and then have dinner with the family and then put on this persona. Because that's the thing, too. I mean, I think that's the psychology behind the superhero. They wear the costume to absolve themselves of their actions. And then mm -hmm. I'm not going out and killing these people and doing it. Yeah. That's hooded justice. Yeah. You know, that's Night Owl. That's yeah. all these other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you also get into the question of, uh, when we're talking about the, those characters or any superhero really which costume which side which is, is actually the costume yeah, yeah you know is it is it spider-man or is it <laughs> peter, peter parker, parker. right yeah. i mean and I, I and i think that that, that show explored that relatively well and i mean i think other other forms of media in, in the comic book and hero industry have probably done that as well you know um but yeah i mean i think that's a big question as well i mean there's a facade we all put on for the public right and then there's i would assume i mean i have to assume because i don't know for sure i assume when we're all by ourselves or even when we're with groups of people that we really trust we have a bunch of different facades but which one is really the real us or or are they all the real us or it doesn't matter which one's the real us I mean, I assume in the, in the case of some people, it probably would matter which one is the real one if they're so wildly different, which I think we also see a lot more in today's society. You know, we see a lot of people who can get online and be who we expect, who appear to be like the most vitriolic, worst example of a human that we know. But then when you talk to people that know him in real life, oh, he's real sweet. And, you know, he helps me bring my groceries up the stairs every week and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to think about that uh, that's i guess the superheroes and villains are another metaphor for all of us in a little bit of a way in relation to how things are uh, how our society works today and maybe that gets even exaggerated more as we've had to stay home more and more and a lot of us are just sitting around typing on the keyboard and things like that a lot more instead of actually interacting face to face with each other yeah i think uh, I'm a teacher. And so literally tomorrow, we kind of report back, I'm probably going to go up to the school because I've been in even though we just moved into here, I haven't been in this yeah. room specifically, but I've been home too much. I'm like, I need to go out and be in some place of normalcy to start doing mm -hmm. this work. Yeah. But to me, that's the thing we look at all the health issues that's going on. And we see the people that have died. And then we're going to find out the long term damage. 10, yeah. 20, 30 years down the road. But to me, what I'm most interested in is the sociological impact as a mm -hmm. whole and then the psychological impact yeah. on 
not just the adults, but the kids. And that can be from the kids that were six going into kindergarten or first grade Mm -hmm. to these high schoolers that their educational progress has been stunted. Their athletic progress has been stunted. They're losing months. And I'm telling you this right now, and we're going to go, what we're doing in my district is the first three weeks are remote only. And mm-hmm. then we're going back to, they can choose to go traditional in the school or online. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever I'm in Texas, every time it opens back up, it spikes and they shut it down. Yeah. It's going to spike. Something's going to happen and they're going to shut it down. And so yeah. I don't think I'm planning on this entire year, all the way through May yeah. being online. And if you look at it, that, that is one year. It is like two, six weeks or like the last 12 weeks of one year. And then almost the entirety of someone's year is just lost to that. And yeah. the, to me, the stunting, especially the younger you get, like that is going to have repercussions for 50, 60, 70 years. And we have yeah. no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to play a role in, and not just the, uh, like you're saying, not just the educational aspect of things, but yeah, definitely like the social, social aspects of things. I mean, it's one less, it may sound trivial, but it's one less year for kids to actually interact with each other in a face-to-face way, right? Which is big. I mean, you have to learn at some point how to actually talk to people and how to interact with them. And, you know, it's not the same as just typing whatever you want. And, you know, as time goes on, knowing how to talk to people while typing on a keyboard is, it's always, it's already become important and it might become more important. But, you know, actually knowing how to interact with people. I mean, I know it in myself. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I was the kid. I, I, I was a kid. I didn't care which party I went to. I was the one who brought a book and probably sat in the corner and read a book most of the time. <laughs> and I didn't learn how to interact with people as well as I probably should yeah. know how to do. I mean, I'm still not great at it. And I mean, I've gotten better over the years. And, you know, I mean, just being around longer helps out a little bit in relation to that. You know, I just eventually get better at it you know i'm way better now than i was when i was 20 i barely i when i was 20 and i was in college i still barely knew how to interact with people that i wasn't very comfortable with i mean i if i didn't know you on a regular basis for a while i i probably would never talk to you even when i was like 20 21 in college you know i've gotten better now i'm still not even perfect at it now it still takes me a while to get used to people to be able to talk to them that um and i probably doesn't it probably sounds like I'm lying right now because I, I ramble on at times <laughs> about things, but um, you know, and it's, that's important. You know, I mean, it, it's important for, for kids at an early age to learn things and it's, it's not just the stuff they learn in the books. And I think school and other aspects, definitely. I mean, it would be nice if in this country we recognize that school does more than just teach people what's in books and and things like that, you know, but um, it does. I don't know what else to say. It does, you know, it it teaches you how to, to make friends, how to interact with people, you know, how to keep a schedule. Um, I mean, there's probably a lot more things that I'm not even thinking about, you know, I mean, it teaches you self responsibility in a way, you know, when I was in high school, I was, I was the idiot who'd never gained weight. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get like seven orders of French fries at lunch every day. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, you should learn like some self-control and some, some, some recognition. And that's not always the easiest when you're a kid, 
but um i don't know school can do a lot of these things for people if if they take a look and but we just seem to think that it's learning the stuff in the books and that's it yeah, that's a that's a whole other rabbit hole to yeah. go down. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Good public education in general, but like the food aspects, like it's lunch debt and everything, like that is just oh, far, yeah. far too depressing. Listen, when I was, I, I, my parents got divorced when I was in seventh grade, and from seventh grade on, I was, I was like free reduced lunch, and I don't know how I would have, I don't know how I would have had lunch every day if we didn't have that, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, I lived, I mean. Look, we, we, we can see me, and I guess if you're not watching the video, I mean, I'm, I'm a middle-aged white guy, right? You know, and I lived out, out, in, the mid, uh, out, in, a, out in a far-reaching suburb of Detroit that, you know, was, was relatively well-off. I mean, by no means was poor, and, you know, I still ran into those issues. And so, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like somewhere where it's not as, I mean, we weren't the greatest off financially when I was growing up, but I mean, I certainly can look back now and recognize that there are probably and most likely or, or what have you, way more people that had worse than me. So I don't know how they got through it every day. So, I mean, I know if, if I didn't have, cause I mean, I grew, I was in high school in the 90, late nineties. So, I mean, lunch was not super expensive, right? I mean, a hot lunch was probably like $2 and 50 cents, $3, something like that. I had to pay like 40 cents, you know, but even then, I mean, not everyone can co could come up probably with 40 cents every day back then. So it's, yeah, it's an issue. No, it's I think definitely I, an issue. I think people would be, I was surprised the school I'm at now was much better off than the one I was at. I was at an inner mm -hmm. city one around yeah. here. And I think yeah. even at well off, I'm in the Dallas Fort Worth suburbs. And there are very well-to-do suburbs around here. And there's one around where I'm at that if you would have asked me about free and reduced lunch, I would have been, okay, well, I have to guess higher because it's always going to be higher. I would have been like, man, maybe 10% or something. And this is a well-off suburb. And it's like 30% of yeah. the kids are on free to reduce lunch. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, that's the thing is people understand if they don't pay that, one, they're not going to eat, which you're going to ask a kid to go to school starting at 8.30 and then not have anything to eat until 3.30 or 3.40. Yeah. How well do you think they're going to do at school? Especially uh, after yeah. the lunch when they see everybody else eating. Uh -huh. I mean, my God, I have to, I'm not even a kid. I eat less than I was as a kid. And I have to eat something every few hours or I, mm -hmm. you know, can't operate yeah. uh, normal. And so that's just something, you know, going back to it that I want people to understand is like I keep food in my classroom for that reason, for someone to come in and be like, coach, you got anything to eat? And I'm like, yeah, here's, you know, a granola bar. Here's some yeah. things there just because like, damn, yeah. you kind of almost have to do it in the sense of, or you're dealing with, you know, kids that have in that sense. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's again, like, it's just completely depressing just yeah. thinking about it. And it's something I really wish. And I, 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 I don't even want to go back down that other rabbit hole you do where, where you just started that statement where you said, well, the school district I'm at now is well better off than the one I was at before. Oh my God. Like, yeah, that's, that's the first thing right there. Like why that shouldn't even be a statement that someone should have to say. I'm telling you the, the one I was at, I'll say it cause it was a big one and I'm not there anymore. It's Fort Worth. So oh. Dallas, Fort yeah. Worth. I was in Fort Worth. Funnily I enough, my, my sister, um, my sister is a global citizen and she was actually, she actually taught in Fort Worth for a short period of time because, um, she was in the uh, Air National Guard. 
Okay. And she she was down there at what's it down there? Lack is it Lackland? Um, it's, it used to be Carswell. Now it's the NASJRB. I don't know. I don't. Uh, she was she was by San Antonio for a while, and then she oh, was okay. And 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 then she moved to Fort Worth. Now she's in Australia of all places. But yeah, she actually taught at a at a lower uh, income school in Fort Worth. I don't remember which one it was. If it was because the school I was at is right by that Air Force base. My dad was Air Force, so I've been out to that place, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand times. Yeah. So no, I I went to it once, but uh, okay. Yeah, she was she 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 was it was by. It was by an expressway, which probably means absolutely nothing in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Because everything. when I was there, everything was <laughs> everything. an expressway. <laughs> it's just sprawling. No, yeah, yeah. If you're by an expressway, that just means you're in. You're the in the area. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the <laughs> 20 million metroplex. Yeah. But no, so. like, and again, it, it changes everything. I was very much politically one way and then worked at ma minority majority schools, public mm -hmm. schools. I don't know how the hell people can get into these schools and not change their way of thoughts. Cause what I'm leaving right now, I want to beat to death every person responsible for these schools. And that is all politicians, D R whatever, you know, this yeah. is one thing I think you can actually blame both sides. Now they're not exactly the same what they sure. do both ways. But again, in a lot of these big, the big inner city districts are all very much Democrat run and yeah good luck for dallas dallas is one right there it's very democrat it's very blue and their school system is hot garbage yeah. because it's just an american thing but the people that do that and to see these kids and the struggles they have and so yeah. much of it can be so much can be helped by can't be solved by but so much of it can be helped by money and yeah. we have the money my room my room last year when i taught was 57 degrees on most days and i had to complain and complain about it to get it it was freezing in there i got pneumonia it might have been corona <laughs> now that we know that <laughs> yeah. i think it was because of that so when they sure. finally That'll fixed help. it when they finally fixed it they got everybody else's classroom up to 80. so now oh, it's a geez. sweat box oh, it's just stuff like that over the right before we left it flooded and every single thing in my room was ruined yeah. And it's just stuff here. You might think, oh, you know, that's just what it is. No, no, no. There was a very, um, a very white area that got a brand new school that split the school in half like 10 years ago. And yeah. it's just stuff like that. When you learn about the politics behind it, it yeah. angers me, it depresses me. And then it angers me so much. And I just, yeah. it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's something that, well, it's been that way for a while, unfortunately. And I don't know. There's a lot of things that we could probably do to fix that, but the, the, it would probably be a lot of things that people wouldn't like. But unfortunately, I think we've gotten to the point where to fix a lot of problems, we're going to have to start doing a lot of things people don't like. Um, like starting over, <laughs> tearing yeah. down. It's not reforming, yeah, it's ways. literally start, yeah. it's tearing down and starting over. And you're right. Well, a lot of uh, uh, unfortunately, that's that's too daunting of a task for a lot of people and we're going to see a lot of pushing it down the road as we have for a while for a long while so yeah that was the the harry truman saying the buck stops here and i think the most quintessential american thing is now the buck stops there over there over there yeah the buck stops in 20 years when everybody in power is dead and they don't care anymore yeah yeah really that's probably what it is. All right. Yeah. Um, let, let's bring it up a little bit. Let's bring yeah, it up. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, 
So you've said um, one of your favorite, or your favorite director. And oh gosh, you, uh, I don't know if this is going to bring it up, but I love talking about him. <laughs> okay, uh, Kenzie Mizuguchi. Yeah, I said that correct. And so yeah. when you said that, I was like, wait a minute, is this a Japanese director that's not Akira Kurosawa? Yeah. Like, and I got to think, and I was like, I've heard that name, but I don't remember it. And I remember it was from the um, the mise en scène that he was really known for. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that's when I hit. I was like, oh, okay, that's what I remember him from. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a very unique pick. I can't imagine too many people saying that he's a no. favorite director. And yeah, why I mean, that? yeah, probably people don't know too much about him. But, and I knew nothing about him until um, uh, the Detroit. Uh, the, uh, I live right like two blocks from the eastern border of Detroit. So, uh, in Detroit, there's the Detroit Institute of Arts. Um, in the in the DIA, as we call it, there's the Detroit Film Theater which is basically like your, what most people probably think is the super snooty movie theater that shows like all the foreign films and the documentaries. Artsy. And yeah, I haven't been there in a while, but I used to, when I lived farther away from downtown Detroit than I do now, um, just to get out of the house, because when I lived out in the middle of nowhere, I would drive down and watch movies at the, the DFT, the Detroit Film Theater. Um, and randomly, they were they were doing a collection, uh, the the collection of uh, Kenzie Mizuguchi movies, um, basically because um, I think a lot of them had just been um, like remastered or repaired um, because they're like all from like the fifties and not all of them were in the greatest condition. And I'm like, and the first one was was billed as a samurai ghost story. I'm like, okay, I'm in. You're Sounds in. interesting, right? <laughs> it was nothing what I expected it to be. It was not like samurai fighting everywhere it was much more like thinking emotional stuff and there just happened to be samurais and a ghost in it right but i was like this is interesting it was uh, many of his movies are black and white um and i've always found uh, a beauty in black and white films because at least for me they sort of give me the ability to to color or paint in the picture as as i think it is in my mind and that's just personally something for me that's always been interesting so I'm like all right I'll keep checking these out um and they were all great I mean my favorite movie is probably by him as well and, and it's super depressing um uh, but it's beautiful in its own way and as you were talking about like the mise-en-scene he loved to have every scene in just one shot like the entire thing is like one long take and then yeah, you go to the next takes. scene and one long take and like just the, I, I'm just I, I'm just trying to think of back in the '50s the type of camera work that would have been needed to have some of these like these long shots that he did like with two people like I'm thinking of one of his other movies just two people that are just sort of walking down this 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 sl slightly sloping down down road and like all of this other stuff is going on in the road uh, uh, on the side of him and just how what well, one how long it must have taken them to actually get a shot that worked all the way down and just how the the, the setup and it, it's there there's an appreciation in there's emotion and feeling and things that you can convey doing something like that that you can't with all of these cuts back and forth the cuts back and forth can do the different things as well but especially in a lot of his movies that i mean a lot of them definitely dealt with, with the treatment of women in Japan from the 50s till way earlier. And just 
the struggles that they had to go through. And I think a lot of that was influenced by him seeing what his mother had to go through when he was a child. But just, um, the, uh, there's a lot of movies where you'll get that one long scene and you'll, it allows that the creation, the, I guess the creation, the germination and, and the flowering of the emotion throughout the entire scene, which is really cool. You know, you can see, you get to see like the exact moments where like the character is recognizing what's actually happening and how the emotion is taking over, taking them over. And you, you can see that flow and that gradual change throughout the entire scene. And I really appreciate it, so. Yeah, we yeah. should say, um, if I remember correctly, uh, the mise-en-scene is how it's staged, right? Like the sets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Okay. So. Yeah. Cause I thought, and again, if you're doing long takes, which is again, one interrupted take, you're yeah. going to have to have your stage set up and all of that yeah. done very well, especially if you're moving in that yeah. sense. Yeah. So he was, um, like I said, I don't know too much about him, but I did see where I think he died in like the sixties and was very active, like mm -hmm. way before world war two. Yeah. Did that, mm -hmm have any effect on what he did was he drawn to like the propaganda of world war ii or did he kind of sidestep uh, that do you remember uh i don't think he was very much in favor of war from what i remember okay so i think it probably had an effect uh i think i mean obviously world war ii had a big effect on a lot of things in japan regardless of who it was right <laughs> i mean well you see it i mean you see it even in many parts of japanese society today you know world war ii is i think still a big um, I'm forgetting, uh, there's a word in my head, but I can't figure out how to get it to my mouth right now. It's a big influencer, I think, on a lot of media, probably to a certain extent still today there. But um, I mean, I, I def, I, the, the big thing for him that was very overarching through a lot of his films was, was definitely the treatment of women in Japan. Um, it wasn't the greatest. I don't know how it is now, but it certainly wasn't the greatest in the fifties and, and before then. Um, and he, he used a lot of tales to really explore that. I mean, he, he definitely got into um, classes and things like that as well. I mean, he even put out one very stereotypical samurai movie as well. But um, he was much more of a, a, a politically influenced director I mean, Kurosawa and others of the age certainly were as well, but he definitely honed in on the aspects that were important to him. So I'm sorry, I'm sort of looking over at the, I've, got, I've actually got some of his DVDs over there. So I'm sort of looking over there. It's like a little visual reminder of everything because, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say, but yeah, yeah I, I believe he was affected by the war. So, I mean, it's been a little while since I've actually read on his personal history as much as just, just watching the films. But I would think it's probably impossible to not be affected, living, growing up and living in that era, to not be affected by the war in some respect. Yeah, I've, I've, always, I've always enjoyed like black and white movies. When I was younger, it was because, oh, I was like a film snob, you know, like in yeah. that sense. Mm -hmm. And so some of it has been where I'm not going to watch a black and white movie just for the sake of it. But my favorite movie of all time is The Seventh Seal. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Bergman. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. that right there, 
I watched that because, again, my big thing is medieval history. And it said, oh, black and white movie, a guy comes back from the Crusades and plays yeah. a game of chess with death. I'm like, okay, get in there. And then, yeah. yeah, like you said in there, it has absolutely nothing to do kind of with the Crusades. It's all morality. And it has mm -hmm. so much to do with your the philosophical viewings, especially of like God and the meaning of it and like death and what's the purpose in all this. And mm -hmm. when I read more about Bergman, how he almost had like this lifelong struggle with his Christianity and with his religion, the time when I saw that like connected perfectly. And every time I say that that's, you know, my favorite movie, I just imagine people looking at it, seeing, oh, black and white in the 50s, oh, Swedish, oh, and out, and checking yeah. out. And we're only, to me, I'm only, you'd be the same way. We're only one generation removed from that. You know, my parents yeah. were born in the 40s in like 1951. And I just wonder what in the world is going to happen to black and white movies by the time we're 60, 70, 80 years old. And those become ancient. Are they going to be like silent movies? where you only care about them if you are a big time film aficionado well probably i mean i'm not gonna lie probably <laughs> i wanted some hope <laughs> i mean th i mean thank god for the criterion collection i don't yeah. know you know i mean uh, which i i really i just found out recently i believe they just started a, a streaming service which yeah i'm, I'm contemplating paying for but I don't use any of the stream. I, I, I have, have so many as it exactly. I have streaming services and I never use them I as much so as, many. I, as I should. Yeah. So, um, but that would be nice. But uh, I mean, is it the, is it the medium of black and white that's the issue, or is it the subject matter that's the issue? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure we could find black and white movies that people today would probably still watch and enjoy um depending on what they were about i would casablanca have you you remember that much at all have you seen that yeah i've seen it it's been a while but i've seen it i mean that movie i saw it several years ago and it just happened to coincide when um with the banning of like immigrants i think specifically like syria and all that and i happened to watch it like at that time and it was so prescient to nowadays in how it's this, and again, it's idealized. It's propaganda. I understand that. The film was made before the United States entered World War II, and it was basically a plea by the filmmakers to be like, United States, you're going to get involved in the war, do it. And Rick in the movie sure. is stand for the United States, where he's like, nah, I don't want in this. I don't want in it. And, you know, shit's going down in yeah. his cantina. And I saw that movie and I'm like, that movie is absolutely, it is, is good today. I can understand a lot of great movies from back then. It's not the same structure. The acting isn't as good because everyone was acting like they were on a stage. You know, the yeah. acting is really screwed yeah. up at times. But something like that, I'm like, okay, you can remake that movie. And I know there are people being in an uproar if it got remade. Sure. But something like that is it can be remade because it's a good enough movie. It's a good enough yeah. story that can be done yeah. and do it in a right way, not in a way some things are remade, but yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah. I just it well, just feel really bad that a lot of those movies are just going to be lost when they're absolutely, they're still amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and part of the deal is that a lot of people think, Oh, it's from the 1950s. It must suck. <laughs> the story must be horrible. Right. Cause they the just acting, think yeah. it's not new. So it can't be good. You know, the people always think that, oh, this is the newest, so it must be the best. 
right? Which sometimes can be the case, but not always. I had a kid but, in class go, I like really old movies. Like, I go, you like older movies? She's like, I like like the 80s, right? He goes, I like really old movies. I'm like, okay, like what? And she's like, Breakfast Club. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, okay, I was alive then, but I was, but it it was cool though, because I got to talk with, you know, a 15 year old kid about John Hughes movies and all of that thing. But they're right. That movie came out, or those movies came out, what, you're looking at 20 years before they were born. So if I would have been in, her position when I was her age, that would have been movies from like the seventies and sixties. And so to me, it was just like, well, at least it's, you know, getting older. (laughs) Right. And I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, like 20, 20 years before I'm born is like 59, you know? So the movies of the late fifties and early sixties are probably equivalent to, to her movies from the eighties. And I mean, to be fair, how many movies from the 1920s am I watching? Not many, you know, maybe I should, maybe there are some amazing things out there that I'm not, you know, I'm not recognizing, you know, so, you know, I mean, even, even all the old monster movies were like the thirties and forties and stuff like that. Right. Which I'm sure I could get some entertainment and, and I mean, those, I mean, I've seen some of them. Those are not just, Oh, Frankenstein just walks around and, and, and kills people right you know there's actually morality in a story in there and it's it's not i i don't even think that's what people think it is but you know i mean it, it, it is relative you know i watch movies from the 50s like she watches movies from the 80s she's probably not going to watch movies from the 50s like i'm not going to watch movies from the 20s you know so i mean to a certain extent i mean i mean enjoy what you enjoy but you know i mean I think the biggest thing to take out of it is just just because it's old doesn't mean it's worse or bad. You know, sometimes it is. I'm sure I could find some movies from the 50s that are absolutely horrendous that I'll, I would never even want to get through like 10 minutes of watching. Well, there's, sure. and I've got, like I said, it's back in like the snob days. I've got my hot movie opinions. Number one for me is like Martin Scorsese. And it's like, dude doesn't have an editor dude apparently has never had an editor he still makes movies that was the thing about the 1970s the 1970s were like we don't have editors we're gonna make every movie have 20 to 40 (laughs) minutes to just go on and on and he still does it don't get me wrong some of the movies are great but it's like god damn dude every movie does not need to be two hours and 40 minutes i mean yeah i mean kubrick did not need barry Lyndon to be like however long that was it was great but yeah, I mean, I love Kubrick. See, Kubrick is my favorite, but yeah, like Kubrick, Barry, Kubrick's, Barry Lyndon. Kubrick's, Kubrick's in my list. Barry, Barry Lyndon, Lyndon. I mean, Barry Lyndon's not bad. It's just, oh my God, like, it's uh, like three I hours, mean, isn't it? Over three it, hours? Well, I mean, so is uh, 2001. You know, that could have yeah. probably been trimmed down a little bit. I didn't need, I didn't need, for example, I didn't need like, 10 to 20 minutes of the psychedelic trip after he like touches the monolith or whatever, 60s, right? Man. I could get it. I could get, get, give me like five. Yeah, I know. That's when everyone would take for the yeah. acid trip or something, the LSD right? time. But I mean, I, I, I give me a couple minutes. I certainly understand. Okay, we're in a weird place we now. We get it. We get it. I don't it. need 20 <laughs> minutes, you know? So yeah. I mean, I, yeah. But yeah, he could probably use a little bit of it and that went with him till the end too, right? Eyes Wide Shut was how i mean that was like three something hours wasn't it i need to revisit that because i still to this day nobody i don't hear anybody say that that movie was fine or okay it's no this is a masterpiece or it is crap yeah yeah 
that that is probably a movie that could use a revisiting now because it's yeah. probably been like 20 years yeah right? it was his last movie La- late 90s right it late was 90s, early 2000 i know <laughs> that I, t- I took a class in college on kubrick films and i think it was my junior year which would have been 2000 i, th- I so think it, it came out either 99 right before then yeah yeah so i thought it was interesting see i again i think when i saw that is when i was just starting to get into him and of course, like every teenage boy, I got into Kubrick by Full Metal Jacket. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then kind of went back to everything and then settled on. I think my favorite Kubrick movie might be The Killing because, you know, you always got to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to be. I like, I like crime and I kind of, it was very noirish. My favorite type yeah. of movie is noir. I like detective noir movies in that sense. Sure. And that kind of was in that vein. That's kind of why I like the black and white, the dealing yeah. with, you know, the shadows and the filming and all that sense. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I hope, I just hope this, it stays in there and I'm not some 60, 70 year old man railing, you know, talking about these hundred year old movies are, are good. <laughs> you will I, be. That's all right though. I will be. I guess that's, that's in okay. the, in the future for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Without, without a doubt. You, you, you rail on things you're passionate about. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know who the hell, I mean, what the hell are we even going to make it to be 50, 60, 70? <laughs> Do we want to make it to 50, 60, 70? I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to worry about, uh, about going away. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll stick around as long as I can. Okay. Damn it. I wanted to end it on a high. We we're talking about movies that we brought it back to. to I mean, that. I couldn't, I couldn't even pick a favorite of Kubrick's. I'm, I'm looking through the filmography again and just like, I'm thinking about all of the stuff that we, that we watched in that class and, and everything he did. And like, he did a he did so much good stuff. That's why to me, all of my friends, they're all Scorsese, or they'll get like Spielberg of like the top Spielberg mm-hmm. as like directing, and I'm like, to me, it's Kubrick because he did everything. Yeah, you know, he, did he did so many Spartacus. genres. Spartacus, yeah, he did Strange Love. He did 2001. He did the I Killing, mean, a he, crime movie. Killing. He did literary adaptations with like Lolita. Lolita. Even. You know, I mean, he every genre he didn't stay away from something if it was interesting to him it was interesting to him and yeah. he did it which was nice so i'm just trying to think if there's even anything else that we watched that i forgot but uh yeah full metal jacket um dr strange love strange love <laughs> you forget uh that, yeah. eyes was shut uh did he do uh, am i did he do paths of glory yeah yeah yeah, okay, yeah. he did paths okay. of glory was like his Killing was like his first role. The killing was favorite. one of them, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Killing and then Paths yeah. of Glory. So, oh, he did the freaking Shining. Oh, duh. Duh. Yeah. I mean, that's probably. I mean, honestly, that's probably the most commercially well known. I that, mean, you know, now that I think of it, I had to have seen The Shining before Full Metal Jacket. I think that's what it was. I think it was that one-two punch that got me into. Whoa, this is the same director. Let me check out. I mean, that, that definitely got influenced by the 70s in more ways than one. But, um, I mean, it was, I still thought it was fine. I mean, I, if I was going to try to think of what his worst movie was, I don't know. I don't even know if I could pick one as the worst. Because I think I can find merit in all of this stuff. I mean, I, yeah, and maybe not worst, but just least favorite least or maybe favorite. least rewatchable like i will never rewatch barry Lyndon. never mm-hmm. like i have zero desire to go back mm-hmm. to that um oh shit. we didn't bring up uh 
Clockwork Orange. God Almighty. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's another which, movie which has the most one of the most horrifying shots I can nope. ever remember. I will. I will never rewatch that. Um, I don't even tell people that if someone wants to watch it, I'm like, you can watch no. it. But there's no. a lot in no. there that I. Think I had to write. Is, yeah. I had to write a paper on. I think I wrote a paper on that, and I think half of it was just the emotional horror that he was able to convey through like one shot, like one like super short shot in that movie and it comes towards the if the and i'll spoil it the movie's old whatever but we've got the scene in the beginning where uh, alex and his friends end up at that that guy's house with his wife and everything happens right and then alex yeah. goes off to what he has to do yeah and then there's a shot at the end towards the end when alex is reformed right and he ends up back at that guy's house and there's the, the moment where the guy realizes that Alex is who he is. And there's this shot where he's just sitting at his desk and he gets all of like this, this despair and just fear and panic in his face. Like it, it almost looks like he's just visibly, like visibly all the life has sucked out of him right at that desk. And that shot scared me more than I think almost anything in like almost any other movie that I've ever seen. And I'm like, what a, I mean, it was brilliant in the way that he, that it was conveyed. Like it was shot, I think probably from like the floor up and the guy was like at the desk and he's like just sitting like this and his face is just so horrific. And I'm like, oh my God, like people that can do that with such, with just a, a shot like that, just the actors obviously have a big part to play with it as well. But people that can, that can convey such strong emotion through what just seemingly seems to be such an ordinary picture or shot to have my respect forever. Yeah. Now Kubrick, anybody out there who, you know, is young and they're like, who the fuck is Kubrick? Um, if you're into movies, if you're into anything like that, yeah. if you consider yourself in any way a film buff or something like that, you have to watch, you have to watch every Kubrick movie. Cause like you said, there isn't, a stinker in there there's going to be some no. like i said for me it's barry linden that's going to be like oh yeah. okay you know you sit through that but every other one is just absolutely fantastic yeah but all right man this was a great talk yeah uh we and didn't so, even, yeah yeah we didn't even talk about gwen no no that was like i said the, <laughs> the only i'll say this right here i've done several interviews the only time that gwen has come up has been in relation to someone's plans or like uh, what they're streaming yeah no like gotcha. there's the, yeah i mean we're talking the day before a balance patch drops like the notes just came out yeah that's true and i'm like okay like i'm into to talk about but i'm like shit i'll find something else you know yeah, yeah. but other ones to get in there so the last thing i always do i put people on the spot uh -oh. <laughs> somewhat not really because you uh you read the questionnaire and i would just say leave us and leave everybody with you know, your favorite saying, your favorite quote, some words of wisdom, anything that you would like uh, for us to hear. Well, as, as, as I put in my, uh, in my little questionnaire, I, I can't really think of like, uh, uh, oh, nice cat. Hello. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I can't think of like a quote, you know, that just uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. But, you know, one thing I always try to keep in mind and it's actually something my grandfather and I it's actually right up here on top of my desk he wrote something like right when I was born when I was a child 
Um, and I have a sister's grandchild and everything, but, and it's just a little thing like, oh, I'm happy that you're here and all of that. But uh, he was imparting life lessons to me, even when I was, I guess, a newborn. And the, the, the one part on the, you know, it's just this little, here, I'll just show you. It's just this little, you know, type of thing, right? And, the, and I'll read right off it just so I don't mess it up. But the one thing that always I notice more than anything else every time I look at that and read this is he said, in order to be happy, you must also be sad. It's like eating. You must be hungry to enjoy it. And, you know, just this idea of, you know, yeah, he told me very early. I mean, he, he, he obviously made me recognize very early on life is going to suck at times. Life is going to be shitty sometimes and just get through it as best you can. And it's sort of how I've lived my life. You know, the, the, the worst times, the bad times are only going to make the better times much, much better. And, you know, just get through it as best you can and, and take things from it. And it, it, it only makes your life better, as strangely it sound, as it sounds in the long run. You know, that's just way, it's the way I try to live my life. You know, I try not to, and I'm not perfect at it. I, I, I try to not let the horrible and bad stuff um, that happens to me personally, and even on a wider level as best I can, I, I try not to let it ruin or bring me down or whatever term you want to use right as much as I, I I try to prevent that as much as possible but I also try to recognize that you know you gotta sometimes you gotta go through the shit to get to what matters so I don't know that's that, that, that that's 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 Brandon's or Gulo's the words of wisdom for the day I guess I don't know <laughs> awesome okay perfect so <laughs>